Hello there, my name's Neil David and I'm the host of Eurograps Express, the podcast exclusively dedicated to the wrestling of Europe. If it's wrestling and it happens in Europe and it's good, we talk about it. Whether it's RevPro, Progress, WXW, Passion Pro, Pro Wrestling Chaos, Pro Wrestling North, we don't care, we talk about them all. If it's good and it's exciting, I want to share it with you. We're on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Check us out on the feed. Check us out on Twitter at EuroGrapsEXP. And join us for chat about European wrestling and a little bit of chat about cheese. Hopefully see you there. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions and updates across the world of wrestling. To Eurograps Express. I'm your host, Neil David, and we are back once again to talk about all the exciting events that have been happening on the British and European wrestling scene. So, what do you want to talk about? He says, as if he's not going to spend the next hour and a half of his allotted time on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network talking about what I think will end up being one of the most significant weekends of my entire life. And it, it sounds absolutely mental to say that, doesn't it? It sounds, you know, uh, even as somebody who has a wrestling podcast about a very, very niche corner of the wrestling world that nobody really seems to watch apart from me and you, um, that watches more wrestling than anybody, in, I think, in Salford, it still feels weird to talk about this as being the most significant weekend of my life, or one of the most significant weekends. You know, there's obviously other minor things that that you could hold the candle to it. You know, I'm thinking things like wedding days. Um, I won a war cry tournament uh, 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 this year. Um, I, you know, got a job, that sort of thing. You know, those kind of big life events, that kind of thing. Bought a house. But in terms of... Like, it's kind of up there, isn't it, this weekend? We saw... And I assume a lot of you listening to this went as well. Um, we saw the biggest wrestling show of all time in terms of paid attendance. And I think, you know, we can we could dance around in circles and we are gonna talk about the show and the the main event and we're gonna talk about things that I liked and things that I didn't like. It's a big wrestling show that happened in Europe. We've got to do that. But you can't ever get away from the fact that we were part of something massively massively significant what was the final number that they announced 81,035 and I, I've never been to Wembley I've, I'm not a, a football person uh, I'm not really a gig person I am sometimes but what I'm not 100% I'm not like a big event person I love wrestling up to like a thousand people uh, but then once it kind of gets bigger than that, I don't know. I've, I've, I sense it's got to be something special. It's got to be a Royal Quest. It's got to be a, a Rev Pro 11th anniversary. And to be part of that event, and just, I remember getting off the train at Wembley Park 
and walking up the um this like a pathway going straight up to the arena and seeing how many people were there and walking into the arena and standing up and, and just taking in the size and the significance of it all and the sound of it as well not the volume i mean that obviously later on that was great but the way sort of a chant could start on one side of this cavernous space and bounce around and you'd get echoes of it and almost this like ethereal kind of ambience that I was in. And I know I'm feeling really poetic at the year and I'm being a little bit over the top and I'm, I'm, I'm putting my John Cooper Clark hat on. But it, it just felt like something really special and I, I just had a massive grin on my face the whole time, apart from the main event. But we're going to talk about that later because we're going to talk about the whole weekend and the two shows that I went to, obviously AEW All In. But we are, I also went, obviously, to the Red Pro show at the Copper Box. And again, what an amazing achievement for them. What a, a fantastic thing to, to have seen live and to have, and to have been part of. And like always with Red Pro, it wasn't perfect. There's, there's quite a few bits and pieces that we... Uh, that we that we need to talk about and we need to chew on. But if you're dropping into this, and a lot of people will be, I think, to sort of hear about Red Pro, and I feel like I'm the guy who flies the Red Pro flag. I'm going to be negative about certain parts of, of the Red Pro show, and, and what I want to be clear about is that's, in a lot of ways, what's good about them. Because they present wrestling to you that they've really tried their best with. They've really... And it's often great. That's not me patronising them. It's often brilliant. As you, you know, they had the best match of the weekend on this show. Um, but sometimes it doesn't land. But it's always worth chewing on. You know, kind of the opposite bizarro world WWE. You know, like every now and then they might throw you a Seamus Walter at Clash at the Castle, and you'll go, "Oh yeah, that was that was really good. That was really interesting." But the for the rest of it, you can just sort of hand wave it. For the most part, Red Pro's the exact opposite. You'll be engaged in it, excited in it. And then, you know, they'll, they'll just do some things that sort of don't really land. But you can sort of get your brain thinking and get your brain chewing over it. But it wasn't just that. I mean, it was, it was the whole weekend for me. I had something that I, I think doesn't really happen to me very often. I don't know if this is just a me thing or what. But I find I don't often go places on my own. Um... And it was really weird because my wife works around the country. She works for a charity that have offices everywhere. And she she has to, you know, she's very important. She has to visit all these offices and she gets free hotels for the night and that sort of thing. So what we decided to do was travel down on the Saturday morning. Uh, and we'd get a hotel for the Saturday and the Sunday. We'd have Monday in um, London together. And then we'd have the night in a hotel through work. And she'd work on the Tuesday and I get the day in London to myself. And I've got to say, I'm one of those people. Like I, said, I don't really go places very much on my own. When I go down to London with my wife, she's got friends who live down there. And they're great. I love them both. We always have a great time. But we end up sort of, they live in London. So we go to a show. Or I don't do the touristy thing. And I had Bank Holiday Monday with my wife. And then Tuesday on my own, just going around London, doing the touristy thing. And we went to talking of uh, cheese board fans, we, this is a big thing. But like I said, if, you, if you're jumping in, if any if anybody has had a cheese board in the Eurograps Express community, you're encouraged. Oh, well, A, I talk about it on the podcast, but B, we put it in the Discord. So if you've had a good cheese board recently, please put it in the in the, in the Discord. Um, we've got a Eurograps Express room in there. But we went on the Monday 
to Borough Market. Now, again, I feel like one of these backward people who, you know, I'm sure everyone listening to this has gone, yeah, I've been Borough Market, you know, especially if you're from down south, down south. But I'd never been, I'd read about it for years and years and years. It's like this 13th century market that does amazing food and you just walk around it and it's it's not, there are stalls that sell you things to take home like cheese and meats and stuff. But a lot of it is that you go and you buy it and eat it there. So we stay at this hotel uh, Monday, we get the bus into London, get the tube, but we bus the tube in from uh, from Staines, which is rubbish. Um, the only thing I know about Staines is that Ali G's from there, and we didn't. I didn't stick around to find out much more. But we 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 got in to London, went to this Borough Market, and the food I was eating, I had a venison Scotch egg. That was unbelievable. I had six oysters which were amazing, and you just bought these, this fella just gave you oysters, there was no airs and graces about it, he just, got, he gave you like a, a, a sort of weird styrofoam kind of plate, put six oysters on it, you got a bit of lemon with it, and then there was about six different condiments you could use, you could put a different condiment on each one, it was like a, like a radishy sort of thing, and a curry sort of thing, and we just stood at the side of this road, tipping oysters down our neck, like the freshest oysters imaginable, We've got a plate of paella, paella, I should say, to pronounce it properly. And it was breathtaking. You know, it, it felt like you were in a proper... And maybe it's all a performance, I don't know. Maybe they've seen Portobello Road on... I've um, <laughs> been off some broomsticks too many times. But you're buying this paella, and the fella's like, oh, cash is king, if you got cash, I'll give you extra muscles if, if you pay cash and all this. It's just bonkers, like, just this experience that I had in this place. And... um I spent about 150 quid. We just went mental. And yeah, we ended up at this pub that did wine and cheese board. And we just sat outside this market and drank wine and cheese as the traders were packing up. And it was it was just incredible. Then went and bought some fancy donuts and got the train home. It was, it was brilliant. And then on the Tuesday, I got up on my own and I could just go into London and get in. And I, I decided I'd go to the British Museum I just went and had a look at the Rosetta Stone and the Pantheon uh, sculptures before we should give them back and all that business and just had a wander around the West End and I wandered up Denmark Street and looked at £12,000 Les Pauls that came with a free case, you know, and and, and just dreamed of what it might have been like to buy one and had fancy coffees and and, and things like that. And I think that's what's important, I think, when we're analysing a weekend like this. And it's the first one I've been to. I've, I've never did WrestleMania weekend. It was, wasn't was something either financially I was in a position to do or later on. It just would have felt a bit weird to go away and spend that much money on, on you know. And I, I kind of regret not doing one of the big WrestleMania weekends. But what I'm saying is it, it's easy, I think, if you're just sort of dropping into this weekend and you just, you know, maybe you... You, you know, think about the big weekends that you've been to. It wasn't just the wrestling that felt great it was the whole mise-en-scene around it and just even things like traveling down in the car with my wife and we we drove down and just had a laugh on the car on the way until somebody because we stayed the hotel i mean this wasn't funny what was the hotel called that we stayed at it was right near the copper box um and there was a big um it's kind of like a big fancy retail park and it's got a premier in as part of it and we could just like it's literally two minutes away from the from the copper box so we could walk across um and I didn't realise, but because London's so big, there's another shopping centre of the exact same name on the other side of London. And 
imagine driving the stress of having to drive across London in rush hour traffic. It's like nothing I've ever experienced. And I'm not a nervous driver, really. I mean, I'm not like the best driver in the world, but I can do it. You know, I don't, I'm not one of these people who get stressed and turn the radio down and all that. I'm very much the sort of person who, if I go, if I miss my junction on the motorway, I just get off at the next one, I turn back around. I don't get road rage very often. I'm, I'm very, very chill about that sort of thing. But I tell you what, when you add the congestion charge into that, and if you, you see it on all these streets, the sat-nav is taking us down this road, and every road that we passed had the big C on the floor and the big signs up. A one wrong turn, one accidental flick of the steering wheel, one movement into the wrong lane or not moving over into the right lane, bang, 18 quid. They've got you. And I tell you what, that was stressful. And when I say someone put the wrong postcode into the sat-nav, I'm insinuating it was my wife, it wasn't, it was me. I was an absolute sausage, an absolute idiot. Um, but we, we got back to the hotel in plenty of time and all that. And we, we, we got out for the uh, for the repro show. But anyway, that's enough about my weekend. I'm talking nonsense. You don't want to hear about my misty-eyed look back onto staying in premier inns in that London because you've probably been loads because I'm a, an idiot I've, I've, I've got these things on my doorstep and I don't take advantage of them but anyway let's talk about some actual wrestling and first we're going to talk about the show that for my money I said this in the build-up was always going to be the best show of the weekend and it turned out to be true the best show of the weekend Red Pro live at the Copper Box 11th anniversary let's have it I think the big takeaway from this show, and we'll obviously go match by match and we'll talk about how the stories are developing um, later on, but I think what's really important to recognise about this um, particular show is just how many people were flying in to watch this show. Not literally, I mean, mean, I'm sure some people got there, but as in people who didn't really watch Red Pro, I watch it very, very occasionally and just thought, well, I'm in London this weekend, or there's the Shingo Osprey match, or there's a big show on, and I'm going to have, you know, kind of like I do for WrestleMania weekend. I don't follow all the American indies, or I do sort of the big matches, or the hype stuff, but I don't follow everything. But WrestleMania weekend comes on, and I watch everything. I sit, and I get some snacks, get some cheese, watch the whole thing. And a lot of people did that, both live and sort of at home. And I had looking through the Discord, it was going... Absolutely mental in the Europe room. So many people were were clearly watching Red Pro for the first time. I was in there answering a couple of questions, talking about some of the angles because they are a very story heavy promotion. Red Pro. Sometimes you just need somebody to say this is the direction, this is moving in, this is a guy to look at, this is the story that they're telling right now. Um, I think one of the big takeaways though that people had, I think there was two. I think. The main one is the one that you want, that the wrestling was fantastic. And there were a lot of four-star plus matches on this show. I think pretty much everything delivered on some way or another, apart from one or two spots that we're going to talk about. It was generally a great show, not a good show, a great show. 
And people are obviously talking about that. They're talking about Shingo Osprey being four and a half stars, but being a bit of a disappointment compared to the rest of the catalogue. You know what I mean? That's kind of the point that we're at. They're talking about Ishii and Jacobs. And that's great that people are talking about that. And that they should do. I, I think it's, you know, don't gatekeep stuff. You know, the Rev Pro have been consistently the best promotion in Europe. I'm very, very aware quite a lot of the time that this just becomes a Rev Pro podcast. My default thing to go and fall back on is to just talk about RevPro. If I, you know, if I've not seen anything else that's particularly grabbed my interest, I'm sort of half keeping up with WXW, but they're a bit boring at the minute. Or I might intend to watch a one PW and get halfway through and sack it off. You know, all that sort of thing. But I always watch every single RevPro show because they are the best. It's not that this is a RevPro podcast. I watch and talk about RevPro so much. Because they are so good. They put 4,000 people in the copper box because they are so good. And yeah, that was one of the things that people were recognising. But the other thing that people were talking about and the other major, major talking point was how shocking the production was. And I swore off talking about this about when when did we stop talking about it about three four months ago because it obviously gets to the point where you, you're just repeating yourself you know you're saying oh the sound's bad um francesca's uh what's it called when he goes in the red it's you know clipping every two seconds the commentators are clipping every two seconds and then suddenly going really quiet and the, you can barely hear the crowd and we've been pushing and pushing and pushing for them to change it and to get better at it because Generally speaking, the the audio is the weak point. The video's okay nowadays. Like, it's not the best, but it's generally lit okay. They don't do any of the weird angles for the hard cam anymore. They tend to, to get things in frame. But the sound is offensive. And it was so disappointing to hear when I came out of the show, to hear just or see message after message after message of people going like is the sound always this bad and you have to say yeah it is to be honest it wasn't actually my first reaction my first instinct was to do the whole you know like if you've got a brother or sister like you can slag them off and beat them up and be nasty to them all day long but if someone else does it then it's an issue. It kind of felt like that when people were talking about the sound. It was like, yeah, that's just what Red Pro is. You know, if you don't like it, get lost. But actually, people are right. And I, I think it became fairly obvious that I think this might be the thing that turns some people away. Not everybody. I, I've, I've seen lots and lots of people saying this is going to be my jumping on point to Red Pro, and that's great. But I think of all the people that they've chased away, I, I, I think is is a real, real shame. But, yeah, it is what it is. Um, because the wrestling, like I say, was fantastic. I, I, I think I'm saying it is what it is because I've kind of got the realisation now that if they're not going to sort it for this show, the show where they put 4,000 people, because that was the official number in the end, it was just over 4,000. It was just shy of 4,100. Let me get the exact number. I had the window, but I closed it. And it was more than was predicted. I mean, Rob Reed from uh, Eurograps Express. I'm from Eurograps Express. Um, Rob Reed um, from Wrestling 101 was was tracking the data, tracking the numbers brilliantly. And 
the prediction was, yeah, well, it'll do 3,500, which is great. And the fact it did over 4,000, I, I, I think, is, is, is unbelievable. You know, let's not beat around the bush here. That's unbelievable, isn't it? That independent British wrestling show put 4,072 people into the copper box. And you can come at me with your caveats. You can say they only did that number because AEW were in town. And yeah, that's probably true. But nobody came away from this show thinking that RevPro were a piss poor promotion. Nobody came away from this show thinking that they just seemed like a tag along thing. That show, it wasn't, you know, someone getting the imports in. And you can say, yeah, it's Osprey Shingo sold most of those tickets. But Osprey's a RevPro guy and we forget that. They put 4,000 people in that building and every one of those people left feeling like they'd seen a cohesive, proper wrestling company. They'd not seen Gideon Gray's half-term comedy throw-together stars and have a standalone wrestling show. They booked a wrestling show that fit in with the stories that they were telling, that had the flavour and the nuance and the brilliantness of every single brilliantness, I don't care, I'm fired up, of every single Red Pro show building up to it. And you could watch the next show, you could watch Live at London that's happening tonight, because I'm recording this on a Sunday, and you could enjoy that show along with everybody else, feeling like you were watching a continuation of a story. They didn't put anything on that they wouldn't have put on in a big York Hall show. Yeah, there was obviously a few extra bells and whistles, but there was a few extra New Japan stars than maybe normal. But you get them anyway on the big shows. Okay, Jericho turned up at the end because of the AEW thing. But apart, it's just this is what RevPro are. And that's what was so great about it. They put on a RevPro show and everyone went to see it and most people came away from it thinking it was a great show. I love this company. And I, I, I don't know what it is. I, I hold back sometimes and I have to be really critical of them because I like doing that. And I think it's important to be critical of things that you like. And it's, you know, we get, we, me and you, the wrestling fan, the auteur, the wrestling um, elite we like to think about things and we like to chew on them. And if, if people, do you know what? And I'll, I'll get involved in another wrestling conversation that I'm seeing a lot online. If you don't want to do that, I don't think any less of you. If you want to throw Joey Janela's spring break on, I know I was sneering a second ago, but he was tongue in cheek. If you want to throw Joey, <coughs> throw Joey Janela's spring break on and just have a bit of a laugh with your wrestling and not think about it beyond the cool moves and, and the, you know, the funny stories and the nostalgia, that's absolutely fine. You do that. But RevPro tells stories, and RevPro give you great matches, and RevPro give you stuff to chew on. And yeah, you can watch it on a casual level, of course you can. And yeah, you can enjoy some of the stories that they put on, of course you can. But also, if you want to start peeling off some layers, RevPro let you do that. And that's the best kind of company, isn't it? I'm not going to hold back on them anymore. I think Red Pro brilliant. So let's go through the card then and let's talk about what was actually brilliant and maybe some things that I was a little bit disappointed with. Um, first of all, there was a pre-show uh, women's number one contender. And this is a little bit of a funny one, this one. Because I've always come on here and talked about how the women's division isn't that great. 
but it's not really their fault because people keep getting injured they keep being you know plans keep having to be changed and all that but when you look at this number one contenders battle royal and you look at the names because the vast majority of these names they have access to and are booked before and are booked regularly you've got danny luna who's fantastic I was really shaky on Danny Luna when she started, but you know what the best bookers do? They have some balls. And if they want to push something, they just do it and they stick with it. And it's. Uh, he's, Andy's done that exactly with um, Danny Luna. He's got a wrestler and he's pushed her. Now, did I agree with what happened when she. You know, lost the title to Sky Smithson and wasn't involved in the um, in the uh, what she called the women's champion uh, names. You're screaming it. You're doing oh, what I always do. I forget a name and you're screaming it. Alex Windsor. Should she have been involved in that? Yeah, probably. But she's a commodity now in in Red Pro. She's got a bit of feeling about her. Someone you can push. Maya Matthews was in this. Yeah, and she's not exactly a star at the minute because she's young and she's working her way up. But they've established this character as this as this baby-faced fire who will always fight back and will scratch and claw. Mercedes Blaze, not been around for a while, but was a great heel for them. Rain Leverkusen, someone who was really over when she wrestled with them. Alexis Falcon, the same. Sapphire Reed, Brilliant to see her. I tell you what, if you didn't watch it based on my recommendation, go and watch the match Maya Matthews and Sapphire Reed had in purpose and you'll see how talented those two young girls are. And remember, they are young girls. They're like 18, 19 years old. Sky Smithson, over as all get out. Chantel Jordan, brilliant. Rio, new to Red Pro, she made a debut, but Rio's fantastic. She's part of Northwest Strong. Seen her a ton because obviously she's Manchester way. She's wrestled a lot round here, and she's so terrifying. She's just got that air about her. Like she's one of those people that I've I've never spoke to, her, but I've seen her a couple of times, like going into a show or just walk past her, and she just seems like a really nice person. Like she just genuinely seems like she's got an easy smile. Do you know what I mean? When I walk past her, and then you never know that when she walks to the ring, man, she's terrifying. She rules. And we had Sky Blue come out, obviously, because you know we it was great. You know the crowd, there was the crowd went wild, and it was a great little addition. But everybody here was brilliant, and my point about the Red Pro Women's Title was, I was just looking at all the women in this match, thinking, why hasn't the women's division been booked properly? You've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine people plus Sky Blue here any of which could be in an A programme and a B programme. And that's before we even look at people like Hyen and Alex Windsor. You know, the Battle Royal was all right. It was great that Daddy... It was a Battle Royal, do you know what I mean? And actually, what you might not have seen is it absolutely hammered it down with rain um, right before the show. So the point where I was... I was only a five-minute walk away from the venue, as I said, my hotel, and I'm stood in the lobby with a couple of other fat, sweaty wrestling nerds thinking... I might have to miss this battle royal because I don't. And then in the end, I went, No, I'll just get wet. And I, what? And it was that kind of rain that it doesn't matter how waterproof your coat was, you were getting drenched. Um, and then obviously, as soon as I got in the queue, it stopped raining, didn't it? And I could have watched it dry, but instead, I watched it with wet feet. Um, next, we had Leon Slater against Dan Maloney. 
Um, this point has been made by a lot of people, and I've kind of been leading the charge with it, and I'll keep saying it, that if you're a young wrestler in this country and you want to learn how to wrestle and get your best chance of getting a good push, Rev Pro, Rev Pro is the place to go. And Leon Slater is absolutely a key evidence of that. Leon Slater against Dan Maloney. This was great. This was really, really good. Um, Leon Slater won as well, which was great to see. It started off with Leon Slater doing that leap over the post. And when you see that live, you never forget it. Looks great on tape, but there's something about that leap that he does over the post. And Leon Slater now, he's had the match with Osprey and he's had this match with Maloney. He's shown that he can operate on that level, I think. That great level. He's kind of what we always said Luke Jacobs was this time last year. Because Luke Jacobs is here now and he's, he's arrived and he's great. But you were kind of waiting for him to have that great, great match. And that's kind of where I am with Leon Slater now. I don't always know if I count it with Osprey. Do you know what I mean? Because he adds half a star to anyone at least. Um, but it was great to see Dan Maloney as well because it's amazing how Dan Maloney, there's no rough edges with him anymore. You know, and I, obviously literally there are. He looks terrifying. He's a bruiser. He's intimidating. But he's somebody who you can put in a spot like this and he delivers consistently every time. He's he's really become a next-level professional wrestler and earned that place in New Japan, um, I think. You know, great back and forth, things like Leon Slater doing Maloney's move against it. Great story here, told really simply. The story was, this is one of my favourite stories going in, is that Dan Maloney didn't think Leon Slater was giving him enough respect for helping him get where he was. And Leon Slater was like, you didn't help me get where I was. I got to where I was. What a great little story. Slater won with the Swanton 450, and what an amazing move. He does a Swanton bomb, and then at the last possible second, flips it round into a 450. I don't know how he does it. He's one of those wrestlers that you see him do something and you're like, I don't know how you do this. Physically, how like not physically as in your body, as in of physics. How is it possible to bend space and time in such a way? Absolutely incredible, incredible professional wrestling. Incredible professional wrestling. Next up, we had a scramble for the Cruiserweight British Championship. It was Connor Mills, Robbie X, Wild Boar, Jordan Brakes, Shah Samuels, Callum Newman. And this was kind of the point where I started to realise what the crowd was. Now, I don't mean this in any kind of gatekeeping way. and I, In fact, the opposite. It was great to see so many wrestling fans come and try RevPro because it didn't feel like they were Red Pro fans. They didn't feel like... The O'Connor Mills got no reaction. Robbie X got no reaction. Callum Newman got a bit of a reaction. I think he might be a bit in a few more places. Shah Samuels is a bit of an old head on the scene, so people knew who he was. But it was weird to be at a Red Pro show and have those people have no reaction. And I think as a Red Pro fan, it was really great to sit back and watch how good these wrestlers were and just get themselves over. 
And I'll tell you who impressed me the most in this. Because Robbie X obviously got himself over like nobody's business because he could just do the most spectacular things. He could just do things that, again, physically shouldn't be possible. And everybody loves seeing him. You know, even the same with people like Wild Boar to a certain extent because he'll come in, he's, he's, he's one note but a great note and he comes out and he does what he does really well. Callum Newman the same, he could do what he does really well. Shah Samuels has got that big personality that fills every room. But the person who got himself over was Connor Mills. And Connor Mills has become one of the best professional wrestlers in this country. I've often, in all the time I've been covering RevPro, because I've been doing this podcast for nearly two years, I think now, and I've been covering RevPro for Voices of Wrestling for five or six years. And I've always been really critical of Conor Mills. He's always shown flashes of brilliance, but I've never been 100% on him. And I'll tell you something, after this run that he's had, I am 100% on him. He was superb in this match. He should win, win, most improved in the Wrestling Observer Awards. I don't mean he should get a few votes just to recognise his work on this piddly little scene that people forget about. He should win it. Name someone else. If you don't think Conor Mills should win most improved, I want to hear the name. I'm sure there are others. I'm not being, you know, dismissive. I'm not, you know, saying that he's the only option. But I don't think there's anyone that's an obvious choice. I think he's in the conversation. Wild Boar broke up a pin with a package pile driver in this. Robbie X was flying all around. Connor Mills stole the pin, which was perfect. Just a, a great match. A great scramble. Absolutely loved it. Next up, we have JJ Gale against Kosei Fujita. And like I say, if I was a little bit unsure about where the crowd lay, this kind of made it clear for me because nobody knew who JJ Gale was or very few people seemed to. And Kosei Fujita, being the New Japan TMDK young boy, was was way over. But obviously the story here is, and again, if you parachute it in, you might not know this if you just went live. JJ Gale eliminated Zack Sabre Jr. from a rumble uh, a couple of months ago. And he thought that meant he'd get a match against Zack Sabre Jr., Zack Sabre Jr. said, no, you're not wrestling me. You've got to beat Kosei Vegeta first. And there were a few bits where the crowd really baby-faced Vegeta and tried to heal up um, JJ Gale. But that just wasn't really the story that was being told. But they weren't really aware of that story. I think what would have helped, and they've done this, I'm sure, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure they've done this before when I've been to the shows up in Manchester. Um... Up in Manchester. I'm a Londoner now. I've, I've seen a couple of wrestling shows in London and that's where I live. Uh, but I've been to a couple of shows near me in Manchester. And I'm sure they used to do the VTs that kind of got you up to date with what was going on. And I think that would have really helped. But JJ Gale's offense is just unbelievable. You know, he's another wrestler who can do things that he doesn't look like he should be able to do. The way he, he bounces around and, and, and the way he does these... Um, the uh, like Oz Cutter style things, just just really, this was just exactly what you wanted. Huge sent on bombs, you know, slipping out of pins and all that kind of thing. Um, great, you know, and it was it, it it was great to hear Gale desperate to have that match with Zack Saber Junior as well. He feels like a wrestler who's on the come up, and again, 
<coughs> excuse me, JJ Gale is one of those people who it seems like people are sleeping on a little bit. Leon Slater, Cameron Kai, Callum Newman, they're the ones that get the roses, and they should do because they're great. I'm not taking anything away from those wrestlers whatsoever. But I think JJ Gale is the one to look out for. I really do. I think he's a star. Next up, we had an unbelievable match that I really shouldn't have liked as much as I did. He was El Fantasmo and Shibata against Gabriel Kidd and David Finlay. And I, I love Shibata. Shibata's one of my all-time favourite wrestlers. There's something about wrestlers who follow their own spirit, you know, like Kota Ibushi did uh, and Shibata did. And, you know, they, he was one of the three musketeers, wasn't he? And he was on to be a huge star in New Japan. And he, he just went, no, I'm going to do my own thing. And it, it was it was just an unbelievable thing to, to, to do and something that was the, probably the wrong decision, but like absolutely amazing to see somebody have the balls to do it. And then tragedy. And of course, he doesn't move the way he used to and he, he can't wrestle the way he did and there's very much a retirement tour kind of feel about him. But when that music hits and you hear and you feel the air in the room change. There's nothing like it. There's very, very few wrestlers I've witnessed live that have that. I remember when I was a kid seeing prime attitude era Stone Cold Steve Austin and that glass shattering and the room just changing. I remember seeing Minoru Suzuki wrestling what culture pro wrestling and the music hit and the room just changes and Shibata is in that pantheon I've just realised that the room didn't change at what culture pro wrestling and that was a joke by the way like I don't want people to think like because there was a, a, a few of us there I think I know a couple of people who listen were and there was very much nobody knew who it was and there was like there was that moment where like I stood up because it was pretty busy it was 2,000 people and I, I, I stood up when Kaze Nina Ray was about to blast and I went Kaze and then realised no one else around me was singing it and I just uh, I just <laughs> sat down so you know but you know what I mean normally when Suzuki comes out the atmosphere changes and am I going to get excited watching Katsuyori Shibata at home on TV probably not but seeing him live and being in the room and ELP was so over I think he was properly over with everybody because obviously he had that brilliant run. He feels like a Red Pro guy ELP, doesn't he? Because he had that great one with the great run with the cruiserweight title. And all this was was Gabe Kidd and Dave Finley healing it up. You know, swearing at the crowd, and Gabe Kidd looked like he was having the time of his life, just playing the old school wrestling baddie. And everyone did in this match. They just looked like they were having fun. And everyone got into it. And I I, I, I thought it was great. And ELP got the pin as well. I've just knocked my phone off. Uh, 
next we had Zack Sabre Jr. defeating Ricky Knight Jr. It's a funny one, this one. Because we've talked a lot about Ricky Knight Jr. and, and what they're going to do with him. Um... I mean, the match was 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 good, you know, and, and everyone sort of did their greatest hits. You know, RKJ was doing his big draping drop kicks and f- big drivers and going for the Rikishi driver that he does, and obviously Zack Sabre Jr. is putting him into holds and all that business. But RKJ is in a really, really funny place with Red Pro, and I've noticed this ever since he wrestled the Natural Progression series for progress. I thought, what's going on here? Because the Natural Progression series is for rookies. It's, you know, to get you on the scene. The thing is, Ricky Knight Jr., when he wrestled in that series, was the Rev Pro champion. Bizarre, wasn't it? Like, just the... He would do that. Like, he would take that booking. And I guess it's maybe it's a money thing. He's got to feed his family, whatever, I don't know. But it just seemed like a really stu- Not from Progress's point of view, a great thing for Progress to do. It absolutely, you know, gives the middle finger to your, to your big rival. But it's cooled off since then, hasn't it? And he's the Atlas champion now. Bizarre, isn't it? And uh, you know he's still good enough to come out and wrestle against Zack Saber Junior., but he isn't winning. And I, I don't think he should have won either. You know, and it, you know he's great against C. Nobody seems to know who Ricky Knight Junior. was. He got over really well. He got over brilliantly. I think maybe it's time to move on from Ricky Knight Junior. I was his biggest fan for a long time. I was his biggest mouthpiece, telling everybody watch these matches. Like remember them Robbie X matches from before he even got the push when he was just coming into the company. And I was telling everyone to listen, go and watch them Robbie X matches. I think we're done with Ricky Knight Junior. I don't think he's got anything else to offer. I think we've seen it all. I think it's going to be really hard to get him hot again, even though he's such a great wrestler. And frankly, it feels like his mind and his eyes are elsewhere. So I think it's in Red Pro's best interest to just leave him behind. But we'll see what happens. Next up, it was the undisputed British Tag Team Championship subcultures against the Velocities. I I've talked about this on the preview. I don't think the Velocities do their best work in the UK. Anyway, I don't think they've ever had a great match for Red Pro. They've had a lot of really good ones but I don't think they've ever had a great one. Their matches with Aussie Open in this country have always been a letdown, and they really struggled here wrestling in front of a crowd that didn't know who they were. Really struggled wrestling in front of a crowd who didn't know who they were. Um, Which was a shame, you know, because they, they they were a lot better, I think, than people kind of walked away and got the impression. Like, would have left the impression they would have left with much better than they were. Lots of things that, that sort of missed, like, Velocity is going for the finish, but nobody knew what the finish was. And it, it was just a little, you know, weird Spanish flies where you weren't sure who got the offense and who got the, who was actually giving the offense. Just kind of a bit of a bizarre match that, ticked all the boxes but didn't really get that next level at any point 
you know, there's nothing wrong with subculture. I think they're a perfectly good team. Velocities are a great team. I wonder if part of this was there was no interval on the show and it felt like we were going to get an interval. And I think a lot of people realised when the music hit for this one, like, oh, maybe there's not an interval. I'll go and get my beer or my Wii or my T-shirt now. But yeah, just felt a bit flat in the room, this one, which was a bit of a shame. But I think it's good that subcultures are getting a bit of a run because we'll see. Uh, and at the end of this, uh, Greedy Souls came out and, and, and made the challenge. So that that's positive. Next up, we had one of the best matches I have ever seen live. Tomohiro Ishii beating Luke Jacobs. Now, you know if you've been listening to the show for a while that we are all in now on Luke Jacobs. He's a lad from Manchester. He's from my neck of the woods. I feel like I've been watching him for years and years and years. It seemed like he was on all the local shows near me and we've seen him work his way up gradually and gradually and gradually. And we've put challenges in front of his way every time. We've said, okay, you've had your great tag team, but you're on your own now. Can you manage on your own and start having singles matches? He could do it. Can you now start having great matches? He's had great matches. And we were just on this ride now just to see how great he could become. And you could not pick a better opponent than Tomohiro Ishii. The man who walks to the ring like he's about to fall apart. He looks like his legs are just going to collapse and fall out from under him. But yet he gets in the ring and he starts wrestling and shows that he's one of the greatest wrestlers who've ever lived. And he's in there with the young, hungry Luke Jacobs. And this match was unbelievably good unbelievably good the chops the forearms the selling from Luke Jacobs the way not even he, not even the way he sold being hurt himself but the way he punched and punched and punched Ishii and Ishii wouldn't go down and the way he sold the frustration of that and he had that realisation that you have when you wrestle Ishii that yeah I might have to I, I might be able to beat this guy but I'm going to have to kill him first the one kick outs at the end the way they traded kicking out at one because they're both Two big barrel-chested bloody idiots who will go and go and go and go and go. This is... This is the performance from Luke Jacobs. Luke Jacobs was the best wrestler this weekend. Luke Jacobs was the best wrestler this weekend. We're asking, how far could he go? How good could he get? And he had the best wrestling match. He showed to be the best wrestler when AEW put 80,000 people in an arena the next day. He's the one that we've come away from going, he's the best one. The chops he was taking, the volume of them. The lariats, the pop-up power bombs, the backdrops, the ensiguris. Just two fellas knocking the living shit out of each other. 
Unbelievable. I'm going five stars on it. I don't care. It might be the live bump. I don't know. I think really carefully about my five stars. And I, I, I really want to make sure that when I'm saying five stars, it it, it, it it's there. And a lot, most of the time, 99% of the time, like Osprey Omega from Tokyo Dome, you finish the match and you go, yeah, five stars. That's one of the best matches of all time. And sometimes you think of star ratings, I feel, as being a little bit more subjective. Uh, objective. It's there's none of your subjectivity piled into it. There's there's nothing there that you think. You know, you you kind of want to make sure that it's the right star rating. You're an accurate star rater. But I think sometimes you can give a five star match to to an emotion that it gave to you inside. That it. it, it I was on the edge of my seat the whole time, willing Jacobs to win this match. Just and then, when them one kickouts happened and they both collapsed, and we had that moment to breathe, and just looking round at the copper box and four thousand people, and it felt packed as well. By the way, there was that worry, obviously, early on, wasn't it? That did it seats like six, seven thousand, and would three, four thousand feel empty? Didn't at all. They clearly sold the tickets cleverly, so the upper bowl where I was, the hard cam side was pretty much full, and the opposite side where the hard cam one was empty, but it was loud, it was raucous, it, the floor was packed. Luke Jacobs is the best wrestler in the country, I think. I think he's the best wrestler in the country, and I think he's only going to get better. And I tweeted, Gado, are you watching? Like I'm some sort of football mark. But I mean it. I hope Gado gives him them black trunks. This guy's a star. Guy's an absolute star. Um, I can't talk about the next match. It was the Red Pro Undisputed British Women's Championship. Hyen versus a random appearing Mickey James and Alex Windsor. Now, I can't talk about how good or bad this match was because, in all honesty, I couldn't focus on how good or bad this match was. I'm sort of delayed this because I know if you see the show or you were there live, you'll know exactly why. Hardcore country. What a bunch of absolute sausages. What a bunch of absolute idiots completely ruined that match. And I know there was pockets of people doing it, but there were some fellas doing it near us. You were sort of to the back of me and to the right. And it started off where it was funny, because they were doing hardcore country all the way through this match. And it started off funny. And then some people started to grumble a little bit in a very British way, quietly. And then when it carried on, people tried to shut them up again a little bit more. And started chatting things back. And then I heard some people just saying to him, will you please just stop? Like, you know, like in all seriousness, forget the dueling chance thing we've started. Just, we, we want to watch this match now. And they still did stop. Some people take this attitude off. I paid my money, I could do what I want. Way too far. Do I think this match, when I've watched it back, would have been any kind of classic if they hadn't have done that. I don't think so, but the I, I thought it was it was. I don't use this word very often. I thought it was disrespectful. 
It was disrespectful to the people in the ring. It was disrespectful to the people around them. And I know for a fact that I'm saying this, and if these people hear it, they probably sat there with a smug grin on the face going, ah, yeah, we wound up, we wound this guy up and we wound these people up. You, we, whatever side of the tracks you're on, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, if you're the sort of person who's proud of that, you probably put I play a heel in your X.com bio. You probably, those people who were chanting that, they probably don't say thank you when someone holds a door open for them. Those people who were chanting that, they probably butter the toast and get crumbs in the butter and just leave it. They leave the toilet roll on the holder with the empty tube and don't replace it. Those people who were chanting hardcore country, they make a brew for themselves and don't offer one to anyone else. Subhuman scum. Next up, we had the RevPro Undisputed British Heavyweight Championship. It was Michael Oku against Trent Seven. And oh my word, this was bad. This is the bit where I'm saying about how RevPro, they'll give you something to chew on. This was the bit to chew on. Andy has a bit of a habit, Andy Quilled and the Booker, of booking the living daylights out of stuff. And this is a prime example of that. The story isn't great to begin with. It's a belt-stealing thing. Uh, Trent Seven stolen Michael Oku's belt, and now they're having a, a match for it. Started off bizarre because Oku came out first and Trent Seven came out second with the belt to the point that people there live thought that Trent Seven was the champion because they didn't know who Michael Oku was. Which is a shame. That was a bit of a shame, to be honest with you. That I thought they should have kept this story really simple and just given Michael Oku the best chance to show just how great he was. But they were talking. It just, it just took so, so long. This match, and it just seemed to drag on with all the melodrama. And there was cool bits with people being put through tables and all that kind of thing. But they seemed to take forever to do the table bumps. It seemed like they were wrestling through molasses for a lot of this. Really, really disappointing. There was ref bumps. There was belt shots. There was interference. The only positive of this match was that Oku won. And this might sound like a bit of a weird thing because it slowly falls off a cliff in a big way in a minute. But Oku won and I thought, great, we're going to do some proper programs. You know, we're going to get... A, so, like This is what Andy could do so well when he wants to, just these little simple programs. That Yeah, this one might not have landed with me exactly, but we're going to get these little programs where Oku... He's going to have a challenger. He's going to tell a little story. Oku's great at telling these kind of stories. And then we'll move on to the next one. But the next one, the next challenger, is Spike Trevay. Now, for those of you who don't know who Spike Trevay is, Spike Trevay insists on having really rubbish wrestling matches. 
insists on having really rubbish wrestling matches. Like, he has rubbish wrestling matches by design. He is the guy who had that bizarre feud with Cara Noir that, if you remember from about a year ago, it was a Super Strong Style 16 Night 2 that I stopped watching progress. His wrestling is that bad, I will not watch progress anymore. It's bizarre, weird melodrama, saying things like just these stories that he tells where he's wrestling Karen Noir and he's saying, I'm going to expose the real Karen Noir. And everyone sat around going, what does that even mean? And the Progress fans are going, yeah, it's the best. That Progress are like, you know, the, the, the worst of the bloodline kind of story. I'm not excited about Spike Trevay being in Red Pro one bit because he's never done anything that's ever impressed me. And a lot of what he's done, I've actively hated. We'll give him a chance. I'm not saying that's it and we're done. And you know we won't even give him a, give him a try with this, uh, with this thing. But I just cannot, I cannot imagine. This did not land with the copper box at all. And I'll tell you what was really unwise as well. And this is me with my serious head on here. It came up before Spike Trevay, and this isn't Spike Trevay's fault, because believe it or not, I know I'm saying all this, I'm sure Spike Trevay's a nice bloke, do you know what I mean? I, I can completely separate the professional and the personal. I'm, you know, I'm not trying to, I have nothing against the guy on an individual level. I don't appreciate what he does in any kind of way, but, you know, that is what it is. But when he came out, and I think this was actually unfair to Spike Trevay, there was a Do You Remember Me came up on this video and there was crows on there. And obviously this is very reminiscent of a, a prominent figure from Brit Ress's past who we all want to forget about and who doesn't deserve to be promoted or talked about in any kind of way. And to me, I know, I know there was no intention to bring that to any, to bring that up with anybody. I know that at any level at Red Pro, that wasn't what they wanted. They weren't trying to use that in any kind of way, or you know, they didn't want people to think of that person. But the fact is, they should have realised that people would, because there was an audible. To use a bit of an oxymoron here, you got to know what I mean. There was an audible silence. Do you know what I mean by that? You could hear the silence. And I, 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 I know that Red Pro would never bring him back. I mean, he fired his best mate with no hesitation. He handled all the speaking out stuff brilliantly, I think, um, generally speaking. Uh, did Andy. And he obviously wouldn't do that. But everyone kind of thought he might have done for a second and it was just not, not advisable. I tell you who was great here, though, to end this section on a positive. Levi Muir. He was brilliant. And I think that Amira Blair, again, and talk about another person I've changed my opinion on. She is a great valet. The way she came out in the big ball gown and she's doing the the hand, the, the elaborate poses and thanking members of the crowd. She was great. 
You know, she felt like a manager. She felt like this man's rock. Like this this person was flying high, but he couldn't do it without the the valuable support that she offers. And it was it was great. I thought Levi, the two supporting actors in this were both fantastic. Then we had Shingo against Will. And what do you say? It was amazing. It was four and a half stars. It was probably slightly disappointing. I was expecting five. But when you're watching things like pop up Samoa drops, how perfectly can Shingo move? How perfectly can Will Ospreay move? This match, whatever you think it is, is exactly what it was. And watching them go for Last of the Dragons and Hidden Blade and Stormbreakers, it's just, there's something about that. Just something about that that's unbelievable. Huge big babyface promo from Osprey at the end as well. He said a few things about not going to school and encourage, you know, knocking the education system, which you know I don't think was wise. Uh, but you know he's speaking his truth and that's important. Zack Saber Junior comes out and challenges him for Royal Quest Three, and then we got an angle. Someone. A big fat bushy came out and gave him a cold breaker. And we we're all like, oh, who's that? Turns out it's our boy Chris Jericho. And the roof came off the building. What an absolutely unbelievable show. And it was great because... it. Do you know how big shows sometimes, they can feel either like the end of something or the start of something. And this felt like the start of something. It felt like Rev Pro have got a buzz and an excitement about them that they've not had in forever and on a scale they've not had. And so many people have got that, um, the the subscription service for a month. And I'm, I'm hoping people keep up with it. And if you've flown into Rev Pro and you're listening to this to hear some more thoughts about it, I promise you the Rev Pro journey might not always be the greatest wrestling you'll ever see, but it often is. It's often great. You know, they have matches and shows of this calibre a couple of times a year. This was a great show, but this isn't unusual for Red Pro to have. They're an incredibly rewarding promotion to keep up with. And I love them. And we'll always talk about them as long as they're good. I mean, if they go crap tomorrow, if they turn into progress, we spike Trevay around, we'll, we'll bid it off, won't we? And we'll talk about something else. But for now, they're brilliant. So let's get to the reason why we were all down there in that London. AEW all in. I've got a little bit of a confession to make about this all in show. Um, I almost didn't go... I remember sitting in the hotel room and I'd put my pants on, I'd put my shirt on and I was I was ready to step out and, and we were in Uxbridge. It was one train away. It was dead easy to get to. I remember thinking, I don't know if I can be around 80,000 people. But you know what? I was thinking of the times I've been to like a raw taping or a... Um, 
a, a WWE house show. And don't get me wrong, people were raucous and people were loud and wooing and, and singing Judas and things like that. But generally, it was a really nice crowd and everyone sort of came in and left. It was brilliantly organised. You know, the way you get off the train at Wembley Park and you just walk straight up the road and you're in there, you're walking out and this yeah, you stood around for a bit, but there's sort of like a traffic light system and you get to the, the, the train station and it's busy, but they're waiting to let people into the train station um, when it's clear. Um, I was surrounded by really, I was really lucky. I was surrounded by nice people. There's like a mum and son in front of us. And there was a, a group of lads next to us, a group of lads to the right of us. And everyone was chanting and shouting and swearing and enjoying it. And But like everyone was just having a great time. And I didn't regret going for a second. And like I say, it's just one of the most significant things I've ever been a part of in my life. And 80,000 people at Wembley. That being said, one of the big news sort of that came out of it afterwards was they're going to do it again next year. Um, same bank holiday weekend. Am I going to do it again next year? I don't know. I feel like I've done it now. I mean, I was sat right at the back. I could see naff all. I mean, the screen was okay, but it was a bit of a, a, bit, a bit of an effort to see. And I noticed some people, like I noticed Chris put, um, friend of the show, put on Twitter, his sightline was blocked by a camera. I saw Alan Cunahan, Alan 4L on Twitter, um, talked about having like, he could only see 25% of the ring because of the of the, the, the poster things. So you are, you are in a bit... You know, you're kind of rolling the dice a little bit with that sort of thing. And I, I like AEW. I'm not super invested in it. Uh, but I, I do like it. So maybe, I don't know. I think it would all depend on what Red Pro do, to be honest. Um, but let's talk about the actual show. Because, I, like I say, it was just something special to be part of. Um, the pre-show was funny. Because it started, did it, with uh, that <laughs> with Jeff Jarrett coming out. And he, he just did the Your Local Sports Team heel promo, which was fine. But he was like, you don't have good wrestling in Britain. And just generally, there was kind of like a bit of a, a nod of agreement around. around. <laughs> they were like, yeah, we probably don't do it. You know, we, we, we just don't anymore. We, you know, World of Sport was all right. But, you know, it's probably been surpassed in a lot of other places. <laughs> And then he started saying things like, you don't have great wrestling like AWA and, you know, and, and Memphis. And like, I think people were sort of booing politely, but also thinking, he's probably right, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, anyway, and then Grado and Big Show, two British wrestling legends, came out and knocked him out. And Grado was super over. Didn't get uh, like a prayer, which is a shame. Um, then we had Adam Cole and MJF defeat Aussie Open. And I've talked about my feelings about the Adam Cole and MJF thing last week, and I'll, I'll talk about that more in the main event. I was a little bit gutted here for Aussie Open, I have to say. They've kind of been swallowed up by this story, and this story was really silly, and they won with the kangaroo kicks and the double clothes lines, and it's all very tongue-in-cheek, ha-ha-ha, that the Adam Cole MJF story is, which sucks. I hate it. Um, and Aussie Open are work-rate guys. And yeah, I know Matt Davies can do good faces, and, you know, Kyle Fletcher's so talented, he can wrestle a shoebox and have to get three stars with it. But they've 
got such a big ceiling and to be chewed up by this and to lose the ROH and again miss me with this ROH world tag titles don't mean anything thing yeah they don't mean anything because they're doing stuff like this with it and this match really was my first hint that perhaps AEW isn't for me because I'm looking round and I'm seeing 79,900 people going absolutely mad for this for the kangaroo kick and the double clothesline. I, I, I just I, I just don't get it. I, I, I just don't get it at all. I don't get why. On a show. Where some people haven't got on the card. Or some people are in scramble matches. Who are great wrestlers. Who've done great things for AEW. Are in like I say. Either in a, a minor match. A, a scramble style match. Or not on the card at all. And then you've got Adam Cole and MJF doing double duty. How much power do you want to give these people? I I, I don't understand. I didn't understand this match. I didn't understand what was good about it. We'll talk about that more later. Next up, you see this? Real glass. Crimea River. I'm going to put that line up with the British Bulldog. He's going to win this match whether he wants to or not as one of my favourite lines. We've got to touch on the CM Punk thing, Gavaway. The match was fine. Hook, Jack Perry, whatever. Hooks. Hook kind of needs to get a little bit better, don't he? But they're pushing him slowly. I'm, I'm sure he'll, if he can do it, he will do it and all that business. I just... I love CM Punk. I didn't watch wrestling for for a while. I watched it till I was about 16, went to college, met girls, moved away to uni, became a Ponzi writer, you know, and I, I got back into wrestling in sort of my mid-early mid early 20s, you know, about, you know, maybe you know, 10, 12 years ago now. And one of the big reasons I got back into wrestling was CM Punk. I watched a couple of WWE pay-per-views. He was my favourite wrestler there, along with Brian Danielson. And I went back and discovered ROH. And then that led me to New Japan and Noah and, you know, all these things that I'd heard about when I was a kid. And and I've got CM Punk to thank for that. And I love CM Punk. He's had some of my favourite matches, my favourite moments. He's one of my favourite wrestling characters. He, He, I think he's one of the greatest promos of all time. But whether we want to admit it or not, John Moxley was right. Fragile ego, fragile body, fragile mind. And the fact that he tried to choke out Jack Berry, allegedly, right before going out at the biggest wrestling show of all time, of a company that's four years old, that's overachieved, that's achieved more than anybody thought they ever could within four years, and potentially jeopardise that by being CM Punk is unbelievable. And I'm so thankful I got to be there to see it live. What an amazing thing. And I tell you what, every time I think about this CM Punk thing, and it's just come out this afternoon that he's been fired. And 
I, I, I love the whole drama of it. The CM Punk Black Cloud. You've got all these people on Twitter who are like, oh, yeah, he's tough. You know, you're just soft because you won't accept being choked at work. <laughs> he's unbelievable. And then you've got all the people that are like, oh, no, CM Punk should have been fired months ago, even though he was just the discourse around this is unbelievable. And I got to see it live, and I'm so thankful. I thought the CM Punk Samoa Joe match was, was really good. Chock full of callbacks. Um, I love the, the, the missing the dive thing. Um, I love the fact that 80,000 wrestling fans were in an arena and probably 79,000 fans of them didn't get that Punk was doing a Terry Funk tribute when he was doing the spinning toe hold. <laughs> like, I, I just, I, just to be part of that was great. I, I just, it was such a messy match and I, I, but I loved it. I thought, I thought Samoa Joe showed how great he is. Unbelievable. Just, just what a thing to be, to have seen and to be part of, and to, to have as that memory for the rest of your life. Do you know what? I know we said we wanted something more for the next match, the Bullet Club Golden Takeshita against the Golden Elite, but man, it's uh, just seeing those stars, seeing Ibushi, and Ibushi was a bit confused. He, he wasn't at his best, but seeing the way Kenny Omega moved and the way Adam Page moves and Takeshita and, and Juice and Jay are so great. 81,000 people clapping along with the Terminator soundtrack. You know, Don Callis, the way he was getting booed every time he came up on the screen. Amazing, amazing jumping knee from Takeshita. I mean, look, this match was great. You know, it was, it was, you know, four flat probably. It wasn't anything amazing, and it felt a bit weird having clearly a setup match for the big singles match at Wembley. But I guess that is what it is. It was still really enjoyable, and to see like seeing Omega is always a treat. He's, he's, he's one of the. He is probably the greatest wrestler of all time. Or one of them, and it, it was unbelievable to see. But I, I think Juice Robinson is the one that that I always talk about. How I've changed my mind on wrestlers, and I'm not afraid to do that. I'm not embarrassed to do that. I think that's important. I have never changed my mind as much as on any wrestler as I have with Juice Robinson. Unbelievable. Next up, it was FTR against the Young Bucks. Uh, I thought this was really good. You know, it wasn't any kind of classic in the series. I think the other two were better, as most people seem to say. It was the weakest match, but it was it was really good. You know, I, I think it was a solid four-star special. Um, you know, the old low-level notebook, sort of to use a cliche. Um but there was just a few bits where it felt really clunky. It didn't have that smooth, you know, the best FTR books matches will, will completely invest you and you won't notice an FTR guy run around and, and pull a book off the off the apron. And here you did. It, it seems it was a, a little bit clunky, as I say. You know, there was a, a couple. There was a bit where Matt Jackson had to pick someone up out of a pin that, that was a bit strange. Um, but, yeah. Stadium Stampede, I've oh, that was great on telly. Live, absolute waste of time. Absolute waste of time. 
Can't see anything. And they do a good job, to be fair, of always having something going on in the ring. But you always feel like you're missing something. Because you are. You know, the skewer spot was was brilliant. I, I absolutely love that. Um, you know, the, those people being put through ladders. Um, really good. You know, it was just it was it was bloody and, and interesting. And I just wish I could have watched it from my seat. Then it was the AEW Women's World Title: Soraya, Shida, Baker, Tony Storm. Perfectly fine. Weird that Soraya won. You know, I don't think. I sort of get why they did it, because they're thinking, um, you know, let's the British person win. Don't think people really care about that nowadays. The whole Knight family came out with her that people didn't really care about either. Um, Perfectly fine. The most over-wrestler of the three was easily Hikaru Shida. She got the biggest pop, bigger than Britt Baker's, I thought. Uh... I think it was a shame that she lost to Soraya because Soraya's not great, you know what I mean? She's not exactly brilliant, is she? Uh, Coffee match, Darby Allen and Sting against Christian Cage and Swerve Strickland. Again, really enjoyed this one. Nothing amazing. It was, you know, I think high three stars, but just live and to see it was fun. Swerve Strickland's absolutely fantastic. To see Sting, the way he, he put himself through tables at his age is unbelievable. Sting rules. And obviously next is the match that we, we're going to touch on, is Will Ospreay against Chris Jericho. They are 100% making a play for Will Ospreay. 100% making a play for Will Ospreay. He came out like a star. He got the pyros and everything. And I've got to admit, I was a little bit unsure about how Will Ospreay would come across in front of 80,000 people. I'm always wary of things like that. Do you know how, like... Do you ever get that when, you know, because we're into wrestling as much as anyone can be into wrestling, aren't we? You know, if you're listening to this, you're deep into the hole. You really love it. And sometimes a podcast will come along that you've never heard of and they get like 200,000 listeners. And I think that's because we live in these little bubbles because we sort of curate our own circles so easily with social media. And we, we, you know, I go in the Voices of Wrestling Discord and and. I follow people who kind of agree with me on X.com. It feels like Will Ospreay is a massive star. We know he is in Japan. But I thought, and I know he's a massive star in Red Pro, but I thought, is he a massive enough star in AEW in front of 80,000 people? And he was. He absolutely was. Amazing thing to see. Great sequence of reversing a Stormbreaker into a Walls of Jericho. Few sloppy moments here and there, but Jericho's, you know, not exactly a spring chicken, is he? There was a couple of moments where Will Ospreay basically had to powerbomb himself. But I don't know. I, I, I thought this was a great match. A great, great match. Four-star plus match. And I'll tell you something. I hate Judas. I hate that song. I really don't like it at all. And I said to my wife, oh, you'll like this bit. Gonna, when he comes out, his band are going to be with him. And he's got this stupid kind of new metal song, but I'm too good for it. I let everybody else sing all that stuff. 
I let everybody else join in with that. But I'm above it. But what did I do when Chris Jericho was come to the ring? Dear listener, I screamed Judas at the top of my lungs. I loved every second of it. The acclaimed of Billy Gunn defeating House of Black, fine. Just catchphrases and stuff on it. Not for me, but great. It was it, it, It's the death spot, isn't it? You know, you, you've got the big match and we're going into the main event. We need that amuse-bouche. And this was perfect. The scissor me daddy stuff and, and all that. And they mentioned Prince Andrew on the mic. And it was, it was just a good palate cleanser. And the acclaimed are perfect for that. And it's not a role that I'm sneering at. Then we had MJF defeating Adam Cole. And I don't know what rating to give this match because I was talking about before, I didn't know what rating to give Ishii versus Jacobs. And I had an introspective moment where I looked into my heart and I stared at myself in the mirror and I gave it five stars because that's the only rating that feels right. Well, the only rating that feels right for this match was dud. And I recognised that some of the work was good. I recognised they probably should get a star or two for doing big moves on steel chairs. But this is such a missed opportunity by people who have got so wrapped up in a crappy, crappy idea of what wrestling storytelling is that they cannot see the wood from the trees. Do you know what would have been the better story for this? Think back to that feud that the elite had, the golden elite had with the young bucks. Sorry, the golden lovers. It was Omega and Inibushi feuding with the young bucks. And they weren't getting on. And they said, do you know what we're going to do? We're going to settle this in the ring. We're wrestlers, we're going to have a wrestling match and we're going to see if we can put this to bed. And they had a match, I think it was on one of the, the, the American New Japan shows. And what happened at the end of that match when the Golden Lovers won? We expect them to shake hands, don't we? And go, yep, you settled it, you beat us. But they didn't. The Young Bucks walked away annoyed. The violence didn't solve anything. And why would it? And if you want to tell a story about friendship in wrestling. And if you want to you know, forget the way they're doing it. With the kangaroo double clothesline bollocks. The bro chacho stuff. Forget it. Pretend they've done that bit well. And you want to tell a story about friendship in professional wrestling. They put the friendship to one side for the night and they recognise that this is a massive opportunity for both of them. And they headline the biggest show of all time. And they both respect that show and respect the company and respect the fans that went to see it and respect the belt enough to both give it their best and give it their all and have a competitive match. And you know what? They don't fall out at the end of it. You have MJF beat Adam Cole clean and they shake hands at the end of it and be proud of what they did. 
And how subversive would that be that we've had so many years and years and years and years of bollocks boring over-the-top wrestling storytelling and he's been pumped into overdrive by that bloodline garbage that we've got to look at our hands and wonder why we're so violent and do stupid stuff and ridiculous spots that don't make any sense like Cole doing the Panama Sunrise on the ref. Because he can't stop himself doing it. The ref couldn't stop himself being in the perfect position. And, and Adam Cole couldn't stop himself doing the flip. And you're looking at me in the eye. You're looking at me in the eye. And you're telling me that's good wrestling storytelling. I talked before about shows feeling like a beginning and feeling like an end. And this felt like an end to me. Because I used to enjoy AEW because it was the alternative. I used to enjoy AEW because Tony Khan felt like one of us. He felt like, yeah, he might be a billionaire and we might never understand that. And we might not like the billionaires and all that business. But he's a wrestling fan. And he's putting on a wrestling show for us that we can relate to. And that we don't have to watch wwe anymore we don't have to have that held up as the bastion of the pinnacle of the thing that we love we you know every time you say to someone oh you like wrestling they reply to you with oh i like wwe and you have to go no not like wwe and for the past four or five years we could say no like aew it's on itv you could watch it as well i can't say that now because they've not got the balls to book mjf they're letting him do it himself and he's messing it up and it's rubbish cost me 400 quid this weekend imagine that red pro show hadn't been on there imagine we'd not got EC Jacobs imagine we'd not got Osprey and Jericho what garbage this was They've not thought about the words that they're saying. So don't tell me it's a good story when they're saying things that don't make sense. They get a double pin. The end of the match, or the first part of the match, had nothing to do with time limits. But then... Adam Cole asks for five more minutes. Why? Time limits don't enter into it, sunshine. Hated this match. And I don't want to come I don't want to end this great weekend ranting and raving, but it's the truth, isn't it? It's stunk. But something happened to me halfway through this match, and I think this is what's made me so sad about it. Sound angry. I'm actually sad. I stopped halfway through and I turned to my wife and I went, this stinks. And I turned to the fella next to me because I'd been sort of talking to him on and off and he was loving it. And the kid in the mum in front of me was loving it. And the guy to the side of me was loving it. And I thought, well, maybe this isn't my AEW then. Maybe this isn't for me. So when Tony Khan came out and said, yeah, we're going back next year. We're going to do bank holiday next weekend, uh, next year. I'm attempted to go. Probably not. 
But I've done it. I was part of the crowd. I was part of the 81,000 people. And I'm glad I was. And it was overall a pretty decent show. It's the main event. Stinky stuff. It's people using the WCW comparison. They always do it with AEW. And you kind of ignore it because it's usually fed brain people who, who don't really understand when they're criticising WCW. They're doing it because there's a lot of criticisms to be had of WCW, but they're not doing it from any kind of position of knowledge. They're doing it from a position of hearing what Vince McMahon has said on a documentary or you know, hearing what somebody said on table for three on the WWE network. Do you know what I mean? But this was that WCW pay-per-view where the undercard was really good, but the main event was just so awful that maybe next time what I should do is just leave. Because nobody seemed to leave. There were people who left for trains, but it seemed like most people stuck around. Anyway, that's AEW all in. Let's wrap things up. Right, as always, that's your lot. We didn't even get time to talk about 1PW allegedly not paying people again. But we'll talk about that next week. We've got the, the Red Pro shows in Manchester, the Lucha Libre stuff to talk about. Um, we've got uh, GCW coming back to Liverpool to talk about. But we have to dedicate this whole show to the All In Weekend because it's the biggest thing that's ever happened to us, isn't it? So don't forget, get in the Voices of Wrestling Discord. There's a Eurograps Express room. If you eat some good cheese, take a picture of it, put it in there, and I'll let you know what I think of it. It'll be like that, do you know that Twitter feed of We Rate Dogs? I'm like that with cheese where everything gets four or five stars. Um, but join us in there and I will see you in a couple of weeks' time. Music. It's not just part of our daily lives, it's part of our wrestling fandom as well, and it has been for decades. That's where this show comes in. Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling, hosted by Andrew Rich. Hey, that's me. Each episode delivers a different topic with a variety of great guests, fun conversations, musical analysis, and of course, a heartfelt pun or two. New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.